Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. Luke chapter 12, verse 51 and 52. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear your word, especially as it presents initially as a strange word this morning. I pray that you would break open your word by your Holy Spirit for us to see inside, and I also pray that you break open our hearts to be soft ground to receive your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The uh, scripture passage that I just read, I hope it kind of caught your ear as strange because it's so different from other scripture passages that we are used to hearing and sound a bit more familiar. So Jesus says, do you think I've come to bring peace on the earth? No. But already in Luke's gospel, just a few chapters before when the story of his birth was narrated, do you remember what the angels sing, right? Peace on earth. So we have all, right away this juxtaposition. Wait, wait, I thought there was supposed to be peace on the earth. Um, and here, um, one of the things that helps us uh, is to see that actually in the original language, the Greek, they have many different words for the word on, and they use slightly different words here. And a way it could be translated would be, the angels announced peace upon earth, peace coming down from above upon the earth. It's on in that sense, the way something sits on a table. Um, but here it's peace almost in the earth, peace amidst the things of earth. That's what Christ is saying no to. So that's how we sort of reconcile the surprising answer that Jesus gives here, that he has come to bring peace from heaven down to earth. The angels announced that. But he's not come, and he wants us to recognize the distinction between that and just sort of taking everything that's happening on the earth and just putting kind of a warm blanket over it and saying, yeah, yeah, peace on everything here, it's all fine. No, 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 no. On the earth, there needs to be division. In the sense of what is good needs to be separated from what is bad. And to be really clear, that separation is never done by us. God is the separator, as he will be on the last day, right, on judgment day, when he separates sheep from goats. God is in the work of, ref- of driving away what is bad, think of all of the exorcisms in the Gospels, and gathering together what is good. Think about the growth of his church over 2,000 years. God is the separator. So we have this um, division, and one of the things that I'm increasingly interested in Scripture is when there seem to be like unnecessary details. And I say unnecessary because the word being God, God breathed, they weren't just like filling pages. It wasn't like, ah, oh, just add some extra flourish here just for fun. Every detail is meaningful. There's nothing unnecessary in the scriptures. So when something catches me that it feels unnecessary, I'm, I've become kind of doubly interested, like, well, why is that there? Right? Why do we have a whole long verse about father against son, mo- son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against... It's a very long list of uh, divisions. Well, I think that this specificity of two against three, three against two, all of those details, I believe they um, are sort of have a sort of condensed parable-like quality and actually yield um, three layers of meaning. 
um, I've shared with some of you that I've been reading in Augustine lately, and he just delights in being able to bring out multiple layers of meaning from the same scripture. And that's how the church anciently read it, that it's not a simple text in that it's not facile. Right? There's riches to be teased out. So I want to offer three layers of meaning that I believe are embedded in what Jesus is saying here about the division that he's come to bring. So the first is the most literal sense. Right? He's talking about families. What he's teaching is that adherence to Christ supersedes blood loyalty. And this is really startling, right? That our commitment to someone we cannot see with our eyes, our faith in what is unseen, our hope in an eternal life that we've been promised but is not yet in our hands, supersedes even the tie of blood family. That, Jesus knew that was a startling thing to say. And it was even more startling. We think it's shocking. Think about how shocking it would be in the first century where family was basically all you had. Our adherence to Christ supersedes even blood loyalty, which means, and I'm thankful that there are no families like this in Good Shepherd, but if your own father tells you to abandon Christ, you cling to Christ. If your own son forces you to choose between him and Christ, you choose Christ. And I want to be clear that I think sometimes Christians jump the gun on this division and sort of try and initiate the divide. No, no, Christians never initiate the divide. But when the world sort of forces the choice, well, then our loyalty is being tested. So do you see the difference? You don't jump in. As Christians, we don't jump into the fight with it to make a division and say, I'm choosing Christ over you. No, 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 no. But when even the nearest, the next nearest loyalty says, you must choose between me and Christ, well then we're forced to make the right decision. We cling to our ultimate loyalty, come what may. Indeed, um, the world still scorns this as unfeeling, they might call it cult-like. And I think Jesus' first hearers certainly caught the gravity. They understood that that's how it would be received. But the proposal is that Jesus is worthy of our highest loyalty. That's the most literal level of Jesus' teaching. Okay, the second level at which Christ has actually brought division is in the history of God's people. So God, God calls a people together in himself with covenants, the Jewish people, right? And then all of Jesus' first hearers were Jewish. They had Jewish blood in their veins. And they recognized that this Jesus was the fulfillment of the promises that they were looking for. But then the Jewish people who did not accept Christ, they kicked those Jewish Christians out of their synagogues. The mother rejected the daughter. Jesus is prophesying that this just will happen to those of you who are loyal to Christ. Just as, and that would have been, think how painful that would have been in Jewish families in the first century to be kicked out of the synagogue because you're clinging to Israel's Messiah. Mother rejected daughter, daughter then rejected mother. And what's interesting what we see in certain times and places of church history is that occasionally the teachers of the church fall for the trap of the world and they forget the gospel and corrupt the gospel and they make Christianity as if it was just another Judaism of just rules, just here's rules to keep. And this is what happened in the late Middle Ages. And so blessed Martin Luther said, no, that's not the gospel. And he even said to Mother Church, the institution of the church in his region, he said, 
This is not the faith that Jesus gave to his apostles. We have to go back to the faith that Jesus gave to the apostles. His loyalty to Christ superseded even his loyalty to the church. That's a wild level of trust in Christ. But God called him to that station and he remained loyal. And it's always important to remember, we who have our Protestant heritage, Luther didn't cut himself off from the church he was a part of. He was excommunicated. Right? The one who'd abandoned the gospel gave him the boot, but he clung to Christ. So we see it in families, we see it in even the history of the church, as especially as it relates to uh, Judaism. And there's a third and final level, which I want to unpack, at which Christ um, is actually bringing division. Um, and it's the division between, as it were, the higher part of ourselves and the lower part of ourselves. That is, with part of ourselves, because we bear the stamp of the image of God, right? Our bodies are made good. Our mind has a seed in it that is good from God. The rationality, our, the life of our souls and our inner life. There's a portion of this that is good and made by God and blessed. And there's a portion of it that's been dragged low, right? And we use sort of theologically, we use the word flesh to describe that. The part of ourselves that would be drawn to just the satisfaction of pleasure and worldliness. And so Jesus has actually come to sort of divide those two. Not that, I don't mean in some schizophrenic sense. I mean in the way that um, the way that dross is hammered out of gold. Right? To get rid of what is um, fleshly in the bad sense so that we might be more fully made clean and pure and godly in his sight. He's actually bringing division into our innermost selves. And so this is why we need to be so careful when we speak about like listening to our heart or trusting ourselves or to thy own self be true, like all that stuff, right? No, we have to, there's a dividing line. Is it the part of our heart that's calling us to follow Christ? Is it the, my innermost self that longs to be a follower of God? Or is it the part of myself that just wants to kind of selfishly get my way? Christ would bring division into the very middle of ourselves. This is, um, here I just want to kind of weave in that powerful passage we heard from Hebrews about the discipline that God does. In light of the, what we've seen in the book of Hebrews, he's talking about sufferings that have come upon us. Miseries, sicknesses, disappointments, deaths, pains, heartache. These things are so many opportunities to let go a little more of the things of earth, the fleshly side of those things, and to cling to the things of heaven. That's why God permits them, that there might be so many opportunities to test and prove our loyalty. When push comes to shove, what are we going to cling to? Am I going to drown my life in, some, in my own response to losing some worldly thing? Or will I cling to Christ's? That's the discipline that the Lord, the way in which the difficulties the Lord permits have a disciplinary effect or can if we receive them as such from the Lord as part of his own purifying of our life, his dividing, cutting off what is dead so that what is alive, what he's been making alive, is made strong. Our loyalty to what we've heard, the gospel of Christ crucified for our sake, must always be our highest loyalty. Amen.